Good evening. This is Chris Charles of Idle Features, and with me on the line tonight is a lady who may be best remembered for her appearance in a very memorable film and is now the director of her own dance and theater companies, Tammy Stronach. How are you tonight, Tammy? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good myself, too. Now, first of all, I guess you're best remembered, but probably not best recognized, for your role as the childlike empress in the uh, 1984 fantasy film, The NeverEnding Story. Uh, Yet after that film, you didn't really become a quote-unquote child actress, did you? No, no. um, I ended up deciding to re-channel my efforts towards dance after the film. It's funny, you know, I was really in love with acting, and I was doing plays throughout my childhood from four on. But I think that the success of The NeverEnding Story took us a little bit by surprise. We mm-hmm. we didn't totally anticipate that it would have the impact it did. And I think, you know, uh, on the on the one hand, there's the, the artistry involved in being an actor and telling stories. And then there's the whole sort of business side of it, which is another wor- world and, and takes a lot of savvy to kind of know how to navigate. So my parents, who were both archaeologists, mm-hmm. just felt that they didn't really have the toolkit they needed to steer me through being a child actor in the 80s, which, you know, I think some people gracefully managed to get through. But there's also a lot of stories about people who kind of do get a little roughed up by the industry. So they kind of chose to point me in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's understandable. Like you said, some can come through it with flying colors. Others can end up like, well, you know, don't have to mention names. (laughs) <laughs> not mention you know, like you know, like Buffy on Family <laughs> Affair or Gary Coleman, but we'll move on. Um, now, that's interesting. You said that you appeared in stage plays from the time you were four. I was doing some research, and I underst- it was my understanding that you didn't have any acting experience before The NeverEnding Story, and you didn't audition for the role, but you were accidentally spotted by a casting agent? Well, it's sort of um, yes and no. So um, I didn't have any professional acting experience in the sense that I didn't have an agent and I wasn't being paid money to be acting. Ah. Um, But I was very active in taking uh, dance and theater classes. I was always in a community theater play. I was in a touring company at the time that... um, before I did the Neverending Story, I was in a, a, a little troupe of kids, and we went around schools all over the Bay Area and did Winnie the Pooh at assemblies. Mm-hmm. And I was in acting and musical theater classes. So when the casting agent spotted me, she spotted me in an acting class. Okay, okay. I thought yeah, it was yeah. just sort it of was, like, you know, you were sitting at a soda fountain and suddenly you were discovered. No, I mean, maybe that makes the story a little bit more exciting, but unfortunately it's not true. Okay. <laughs> All right, I got it. Um, so now let's talk about the never-ending story a bit. Uh, it was a West German-produced English-language film directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who's fairly well-known in Germany. Now, I understand at the time... It was the most expensive film produced outside of the United States or the then Soviet Union. Yeah, it was the sort of first attempt of German film to try and do um, the kind of special effects mm-hmm. that were really reaching their apex, that particular time in the 80s where puppetry and, you know, it's before CGI, right? Mm-hmm. So it was 
that last wave of technology and it was kind of getting better and better. And so um, it was a very big deal in Germany at the time because Michael Ende was a very beloved author. So yeah, it was kind of an exciting uh, moment in, in German cinema for, for, for the country. I see it won several awards over the 1984-1985 uh, period. It was, it was quite a hit. I believe it grossed over $100 million worldwide. Yeah, I didn't really um, get a, a a lot of that, by the way. Yeah, that that was actually that was actually going to be my next question. I mean, I was going to say, I, did uh, you get a cut of that into your estate at that time? Because you were only twelve years old when you appeared. Right. In that film. No, no, we were so naive. I mean, yeah. we really went into the whole thing just for the experience of it, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, walked away with a, a laughably low sum of money. Or, okay. or or cryably low, whatever you want to say. Right. Okay, now this, you know, due to the film's subsequent success, I probably shouldn't ask this, and if you don't want to answer, we can edit this out. Um, have you renegotiated any sort of a contract that, you know, enables you to get some royalties from the film these days? No, no, I didn't, and I haven't. I don't know. I, it's just not in my temperament. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like um, it's, you know, it's important to learn lessons and be smart and just you know, make better choices as you move forward in life. Mm-hmm. But that's never been my particular kind of approach to the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand. Um, now, after the film, you sort of stayed uh, out of the spotlight. Like I said, you didn't become a quote-unquote child star, child actress, but I'm sure you must have been offered many film and television roles after that. I was I was definitely offered some film and television roles, but I, I to be super honest, I really wasn't excited about the material I was offered. Mm. And so I think, you know, the combination of my parents really being concerned about their ability to protect me Mm. inside of the Hollywood machine and also the scripts that I was receiving not really being very juicy parts. I I don't think that many films are written from the perspective of a 12-year-old girl. Mm. That isn't really, you know, a massive amount of storytelling isn't really told from that perspective. And so, you know, I think it wasn't that hard to really refocus myself. I I, I feel like the message of the film was what really sank in with me. And I spent all this time on this amazing set with this amazing story it was Michael Enda's story and the sort of philosophical bent of the film was that you life is short and you have to to do what you dream and and not what other people dream for you not you know dreams you're kind of told you should dream but really live your true authentic self um and make up wild imaginative things that give you joy Mm -hmm. um and so that was what i think the film left me with was this real mission to kind of commit to being a creative person in the world and creating the kinds of stories and things that I felt really excited about being a part of. Now, of the roles you were offered, were you offered roles on any shows that went on to be hits, i.e. Family Matters, Full House, any anything like that? I, I wouldn't say, I mean, there was like, like a couple, I one film in particular that went on to be made, but... I wouldn't say, I can't say that I was like, oh no, if I had just taken yeah. that. It wasn't really like that, no. <laughs> okay. Anyway, for the next 20 plus years, you dedicated yourself uh, to dance. And yeah. you've, you have uh, founded your own dance company, uh, Tammy Stronach Dance, in New York City. 
Yeah, so I founded my own dance company and I was dancing with different choreographers uh, in the city. But I've also stayed uh, connected to acting. After I graduated from conservatory, dance conservatory, I was both dancing and choreographing, but also joined a physical theater company where we created four original plays and were based through a wonderful theater in uh, Manhattan called Soho Rep. And um, we toured the country and we did long residencies, creating works, and it was really like a family. We, I was together in that company uh, for eight, no, seven years. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of doing mostly dance, but also doing a fair amount of acting as well. I see. Now, what year was your dance company founded? In 2000. Now, at your website, I was looking uh, at several of your dance performances. There's a synopsis given for each one, except one I wasn't able to find. It's entitled Me and Not Me. Oh, and I didn't put a synopsis for that one? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't see one. What is, what is that actually about, and what is the meaning of the small bicycle in that one? The meaning of the small bicycle is, is kind of a metaphor for how our, our childhood kind of, we sometimes get stuck in our childhood, mm-hmm. or that in a way, you know, people's um, childhood problems or grievances can become baggage. And I thought it was sort of a, a fun image to imagine this bicycle, which is both this object of freedom and it's going to take you somewhere but it's the wrong size and it's from the wrong age group. Okay. So in fact, it's this really wobbly hindrance. And so it was, um, it was a piece uh, kind of reflecting on the way the past intrudes on the present, kind of how do we let go of things that need to be let go of. I see. I understand your dance company will have a residency in Prague to develop and shoot a dance film entitled Sense. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. It was a project I started a year ago with a Czech artist, Tomas, and um, he created with some friends of his in the Czech Republic an incredible uh, light and sound installation piece where when you touch a beam of light, it creates through sensors a note. And you can sing into a microphone uh, live and then those very notes that you just sang get broken up into different light beams that when you touch them, sing, essentially, like they play. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we started working on this as a live concert, and we performed it both in New York and in, in Prague, mm-hmm. which was really fun last year. But now we both want to turn it into a short film just because I actually think dance is very challenging to capture successfully on film. It isn't really a medium that translates that well to Mm -hmm. film, but there's something about this particular machine and the interdisciplinary nature of it where the dancers, in fact, become the the people playing the music because Mm -hmm. their movements are actually creating the music that it lends itself to a kind of cinematic bent. So um, it'll be a really fun experiment. Now, I understand it's uh, set to premiere late this year or early 2018. It's really up to the editors. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do the residency and do all the filming in November. And then um, I had a hard time putting the date down because I'm not editing it. (laughs) So it's when the editors finish with it. Right. Yeah, I know how that is. Okay, another uh, project of yours that is uh, slated to appear at uh, Marymount Manhattan College is entitled Around the Bend. Can you tell me about that? 
Sure, sure. Yeah, that's an, another dance theater piece. And over the years, I would say that my work started blending more and more theater into the dances. Mm -hmm. And so there'll be sections that are dance, and then there'll be like these little sections that are more like scenes from a play. Mm -hmm. So Around the Bend is what I would call a, a, a sort of dance theater piece. And it's really about being in the middle of things. I feel like uh, for me, I'm in the middle of my life, I'm mid-career, and I wanted to look at what being in the middle of a process was when you didn't know how something would end. And I think we all feel a lot of, of anxiety around not knowing how things will unfold. Mm -hmm. And so the dance is really about kind of examining that and maybe creating a new ritual. So in the piece, uh, the, the narrator sort of invites out the audience as if they had been invited to a party. And she says, you know, we, we have ceremonies for birth and for marriage and for death, but we don't have any ceremony for just getting through it, for just mm -hmm. being in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so this is a, a getting, getting through it ceremony. And it examines the ways in which people can relax into the unknown. And in fact, hope is kind of being in the middle of something and not knowing how how it will will ultimately unfold. So it's got a lot of humor and and it's fun and I think that dances are often used in weddings and in these moments of ceremonies. So it's also a fun way to kind of reference that. Okay. Now in the uh, dance industry, there must be a lot of talented people you'd love to work with whom you haven't before. Uh, who would be on the top of your list of people you would love to work with? Well, she passed away, but I have to say her name anyway. She was just in New York at BAM. There's a choreographer named Pina Bausch, who funnily enough is German, which mm -hmm. brings us back to <laughs> art made in Germany. And she was really one of my greatest uh, artistic heroes. And I think Almodovar did a film using her choreography. She's definitely they've definitely been some films about her. She's just an extraordinary choreographer. So if I could bring her back from the dead and go back in time or had some kind of time machine, that's who my number one person would be. And someone who's still living, Ohadna Reen is sort of one of my big heroes in the dance world. He is based in Israel. Mm -hmm. Um and he created this incredible technique called Gaga technique. Mm. Um, that would be on my top list. I mean, I feel like what I'm really curious about doing more and more is working with people who are interdisciplinary and breaking the forms. So finding bridges between dance and theater or between dance and singing and maybe looking at ways where these arts that have been sort of separated can actually come together. I think I'm just really interested in how mixing things creates new possibilities. Mm -hmm. Now, you also have a theater company entitled Paper Canoe. So the first question I have to ask you is, why Paper Canoe? Where did that name come from? Paper Canoe is such a nostalgic object for me. I mean, I... I don't know. Do you? Did you ever, when you were a kid, just go down to the lake with a little piece of paper and you make a little boat? And you yeah, put it out, of, out of a newspaper. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. Sure. usually a, a usually a sailboat, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Usually a sailboat. It has that big cone in the middle. Uh -huh. But there was just something about this image of 
taking a piece of paper, which is this very everyday, ordinary object, mm -hmm. and with a few simple creases and a few folds, it turns into this vessel for the imagination. And the second you put your little paper boat down in the water, you are off on a journey of the imagination. Um, so I love the fact that it was, um, it referenced something handmade and for me it felt like really what the best stories do for us as a kid, you know, this, they, they just transport us. Mm. They're on a journey. Paper Canoe, you produce uh, family-friendly entertainment in New York. Uh, stories not unlike The NeverEnding Story and you co-founded that with your husband, I understand. I did. So after the birth of my daughter, who's now six, I hadn't really been interested so much in, you know, creating stories for children prior to that. I mm -hmm. was really much more focused on the avant-garde theater scene in New York, but something just shifted in me. And I think I just started realizing how important it is for children to be nourished on wonderful stories. And, and I just mean rich, deep, imaginative stories that create empathy. So, you know, not stories that are sort of preachy or, but that stories that expand our capacity to believe in our own power to be, um, you know, a force of good in the world in, in, in whatever idiosyncratic and unique way each person is built. And I really love The NeverEnding Story as a story. I think Michael Ende created this incredible piece of literature and that it really is about the little guy you know, the world can seem so scary and unruly and all these crazy things happen and one can really feel like no matter what one does, it's not going to move the needle. We're not going to make anything better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just this tiny thing. How could I affect change? And I feel like the never-ending story is this kind of story that says, no, 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 you know, each person inside of their inside of their head is is their own universe is their own world of imagination and really all the best ideas that get brought into reality at some point they were just an idea in someone's head too so we have to keep our imagination and our hope in our ability to to keep that like naive childlike part of ourselves that mm -hmm. that wants things to be good <laughs> alive and not to have apathy win so those are the it just started me thinking about how i want to participate in creating stories that are exciting for children and create a sense of possibility for them and confidence for them in their ability to participate in the world and affect positive change now what kind of uh, shows did you watch when you were a child growing up classic disney sesame street no, because I was born in Iran. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Lived right. in, and then I lived in Israel, and then I lived in England. So right, I watched right. a lot. Of, I didn't watch the same shows you watched. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I did watch, I watched um, Bionic Man and Bionic Woman. Which oh, I think the, was the $6 million dollar Man. Show. Yeah, the $6 million dollar Man. Right. And I was obsessed with him. Uh -huh. Except for I watched it in Farsi. Yeah. Um, because they showed it in Iran, and so, of course, they dubbed it. And I always thought that actors had to be really good linguists mm -hmm. because every country my parents moved me to, the actors would speak in a new language. Mm -hmm. And I was like, these people are just brilliant. They have no accent in Farsi. Their Hebrew's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was only when I got to America and I got a little older, I was like, you know what, I think that was not actually them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those were my favorites. I kind of loved, I mean, even as a kid, I loved sci-fi, slightly imaginative, a uh, little bit like reality, but a little bit not like reality kinds of stories. Have you ever met Lee Majors, by the way? No. <laughs> How about uh, Lindsay Wagner? Lindsay Wagner? No, I would have loved to have met her. She was so awesome. Yeah. What uh, upcoming productions does Paper Canoe have? So Paper Canoe is working on a new show called Beanstalk Jack. We have uh, we made a CD of the classic tale of Jack and the Beanstalk mm-hmm. and it it's a folk rock opera so the whole story is told through song it's one narrative from the beginning of the cd to the end and we wanted to give it a little bit of a twist so we decided that rather than steal all the giant stuff and kill him which is the end of the classic tale which is pretty intense we would have our jack be more like 16 and when he goes up the beanstalk, it turns out the giant has a, a daughter called Harmony, and they fall in love. And so he steals Harmony's heart, and they run away together, and uh, this sort of horrible, greedy giant is defeated that way. Okay, because I also read that you'll be performing the role of Harmony in a stage production entitled The Giant's Rockstar Daughter. Exactly. So I sing the mother, and I sing uh, Harmony's part. And uh, it's so fun. It's so fun to be singing. I haven't really... I did a record when I was 11, just after The NeverEnding Story. Right. I I know which one that was. Don't tell me. I even have that at my notes here. (laughs) Um, No. You made one album. It was entitled The Fairy Queen. Nostalgia buffs will remember that as a sleeper hit in the 1980s. I don't recall it. But um, I was... It was much more popular in Europe yeah. than the U.S., actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, it, and it was, again, it was a German uh, record company, Jupiter Records. So, yeah. and then I did some singing in uh, one of the dance companies that I worked for in New York called mm-hmm. the Netta Pulvermacher Company. So I have sung off and on, and I really love it, but it hadn't, hadn't been my focus. Um, so this is a really fun opportunity to um, get back to some music and um, and also play, you know, uh, some different characters on stage with my husband. So we're, we're developing that. We'll be doing some shows in October here in Brooklyn and then a month long, a month of shows in February. And then we're going to be doing something at the Waterside in Manhattan. So we have a couple of different venues that we're speaking with. And um, I want to add some puppetry and dioramas and video to it so that it's kind of a rock concert but also has a kind of theatrical spectacle to it. Are you influenced at all by the uh, the Muppets since you uh, incorporate puppetry? Into I love the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I mean I love them. They're amazing. Now They're... did you did you watch them as a child growing up? Yes. Yes, and when I came to the states I watched the, the Muppets a lot. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I believe they're internationally popular. Totally, totally. Kermit and Miss Piggy, like the best couple ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in addition to your uh, your theater company, Paper Canoe, and your dance company, do you have any other projects in the works? I think that's enough, don't you think? Yeah, I, I would say so. <laughs> Um, now you say your your daughter is six years old right now. My, my daughter is six. Yeah, she's she's my project too. Are you are you going to encourage her to uh, go into performing arts? You know, I'm going to encourage her to do whatever 
makes her happy and makes her feel full and alive. But I suspect she may. Um, we just released a, a music video, if people want to go see it, uh, for one of the songs off of the album called Hey Wow. <laughs> and it features my daughter as the little girl in the video, kind of an homage to Toy Story where a little girl goes in a room and all of her toys come to life oh, yeah. and try to get her to dance with them. So um, she's in the video and she's, you know, I'm her mom. So, yeah, I'm going to say she's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also pretty funny because I'm um, I play the mom in the video, but I'm also inside of this giant stuffed bear, which was horrifically hot and, and horrible to be inside of. But it's funny if you realize that I'm sort of squashed into this enormous stuffed bear. I assume it wasn't very roomy like the big bird outfit. No, no, the, no. The snuffleupagus. <laughs> No, so that's on our that's on our website. If people want to go to um, papercanoecompany.com, they can check out that video. Okay, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me, Tammy. Sure, it's, my pleasure. It's been a, well, it's been my pleasure as well. Um, in closing, do you have any shout outs or plugs? At, well, if people want to connect with me, they can always find me on Twitter at NeverEndingTammy. Mm-hmm. And if um, you want to check out what I'm what I'm doing, you can go to PaperCanoeCompany.com, find us on Facebook. And if you're interested in dance, TammyStronach.com is my dance website. Any shout-outs to anyone in particular? Oh, I just want to shout-out to to everyone to kind of band together and use use our imagination to kind of do a better job solving all the problems. I feel like Puerto Rico's been devastated. There's mm. just so much devastation lately and we just all need to find a way to help each other and bring a little bit more uh, positive hope towards solving all these crazy problems that uh, keep sprouting up. Okay, so on behalf of Tammy and myself, I'll say thank you to the listeners, readers, and fans of Idle Features. If you like what you see and hear at our website, subscribe, follow us on social media to catch our upcoming interviews with more ladies worthy of a double take. This has been Chris Charles. Mm-hmm.